You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you again about our annual audience survey. Now, every year we conduct an audience survey, of course, to learn more about you, to get your feedback, and to help shape Revision Path for the future. We've went through a lot of changes since last year. We're now part of a new media network. We've got a new website. So we really want to hear from you about what you think about these changes. What are some things we can do to improve? Who are some guests you'd like to hear from? All of that sort of stuff. So to take the survey, just go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. It only takes about five minutes or so to complete. And it really, really, really would help us out a lot. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. That survey is going to close at midnight Eastern time on May the 1st, 2019. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. One of the great things about Facebook Design is that research is closely integrated into what they do. Research helps the product team ensure that they're not only answering questions that will have the biggest impact, but also questions that will mean the most to customers. So if that sounds interesting to you, then learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is so much more than just email. I mean, sure, you can use it to create unique campaigns to help get the word out. That's how I first found out about it, and that's how a lot of people use it. But did you know you can also use it to create social media ads on Facebook and Instagram? It also connects with hundreds of other tools to help unlock new features through their integrations. So you can use their automation features, for example, to help streamline your work and then watch the results roll in with customized reports that will help you optimize your efforts. Pretty dope, right? Get started transforming your business today at MailChimp.com. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to Dave Hall, Vice President of the Digital Design Group at the Oprah Winfrey Network, OWN. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Dave Hall, I am Vice President of Digital Design for the Oprah Winfrey Network, or AKA OWN. OWN. What is a typical day like for you at OWN? I'm really curious about what it's like to work with such a a dynamic and popular brand and network and everything. Um, I mean, it's much, it's much like working, working anywhere else. I mean, I've worked for a few studios and they all kind of seem the same. Like the only difference here is that we have a presence on the East coast. Mm -hmm. When I come in in the morning, the first thing that I have to do is I have to reach out um, to the East coast because it's, you guys, you guys are ahead of us. And if something has happened, you're the first to know while I'm still just getting up. So it's kind of mm -hmm. figuring out what's going on, what things I have to deal with to start the day. And then kind of going through the email, what's happening with that, if anything is pressing. And then just talk to my team. I do it, I do it kind of informally, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I like just walking over and talking to people 
more than oh man we have a we have a meeting at 10 o'clock and a meeting at 11 o'clock to go over this set i just as you're as they're doing the work as they're doing the prototypes and stuff i like just coming over and being a part of that organically rather than it mm-hmm. being like this big check-in thing we still do that stuff but it's more on a daily basis the team starts their work we we use a jura ticketing system okay so we've we've kind of worked together so long that i really don't have to assign work to people everyone knows what they're good at everyone knows the type of work that they want to grab and they just they just hit at it i basically just kind of look at has anything been missed is there that one project that no one really wants to touch and it's (laughs) it's sat in the queue for three days and people are starting to wonder is is it done yet like i Mm -hmm. i kind of manage that aspect of it while at the same time i i mean i still enjoy designing you know yeah so i still get my hands into it a little bit and my team will come in and like what are you doing what are you doing i was gonna like no i i i just wanted to do this one please (laughs) and still do it still do a little design but that, I mean, that's that's the basic day. It's kind of back and forth with the designer, art director, um, just talking, going over the project, seeing if anything's been missed, and then that's the fun part. The rest is just meetings. Now, is your team all there right in LA? Yes. Okay. As far as as far as the design team, we're here in LA, but we also have counterparts in New York that also do design. So we work with. Um, various art departments in order to uh, come up with stuff. What's the biggest challenge that you face with kind of working with a team like that? Um, it's always kind of trying to, like, I think part part of my job is to be the liaison between the multiple art groups that are within the company because there's OWN, the, the network, and there's the digital department. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a department that also does all the print and the trailers and things like that, the TV spots. So that's an art department. Then there's an art department um, on the discovery side, the parent company side. So mine is to kind of float between the groups and to create a system in which none of us are doing in something that the other group doesn't know about. Like if if the mark of the logo has changed, mm-hmm. that we make sure that we apply that to the stuff that we're doing as well as make sure that the parent company knows what's going on. Like we just, to try to keep a synergy between all the groups that I think that's probably one of the challenges that we have. Cause some stuff comes in really fast, you know, yeah. and like, well, we have to get this out. We have to get this out. But at the same time, you don't just want to grab an asset produced artwork. And then you could be using the wrong logo for the show because they actually changed it. You know? Yeah. I would imagine probably keeping that, that consistent tone is a, is a big challenge as well. Yeah. It, it, the more, but the more you talk, the more, the more you kind of break down these walls, because what happens is everyone kind of has a tendency to silo themselves off. Mm -hmm. But the more you keep communicating, the more you keep talking, the more you keep trying to help people understand that you're not trying to take anything over. You know, you just want us to work together the easier, the easier it gets. Now you say that you you know still like to design. I guess you know kind of get your hands in there and, and get your hands dirty. What's your creative process like? How do you approach a new project? Well, that that has changed recently. So 
So as a web department, the difference between like an in-house art department and like an ad agency or external agency is that the external agencies change a lot faster than an internal group does. An internal group will have its tools that it always uses. And, you know, that's just how we do things. Whereas the external agencies are always looking for the best way to do something, right? The fastest way to do it. Mm -hmm. So the industry had changed from using Photoshop primarily to do comps and everything into starting to use Sketch Mm -hmm. and other programs. And we, for a while, had been behind in that. And now we've changed our process to, to start in Sketch, rather than Photoshop. So to do a project now, say a project comes in, Jura, we have a meeting, we have a kickoff, we know what the goals, the objectives are. We come in here, I like to start on pen, in pencil, mm-hmm. on paper, to do something first, just because I feel like, like if you start out on the computer, you kind of limit what you're going to be able to do. Because you're 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 basing the, the ideas on what the tool is capable to do, what's easy to do in the tool, than what the yeah. design is. So we can like first start out with a quick sketch on paper and now our process is we begin building in sketch, which is awesome. I mean, I've I was scared to get into it and now I love it, you know. So then from sketch then we can actually talk with the developers show them what we're thinking about, share it, share it with them early on rather than having to hold tight to the PSDs. So now we can start to share stuff with them through Envision and then do prototypes after we're done. So, I mean, the process hasn't changed drastically. Like we still start kind of in pencil and then move to the computer. It's just the tool that we're using first now rather than it being Photoshop, is now Sketch. Now, even with that sort of change, um, do you find it difficult to move between digital tools in that way? Because I know, like you said, Photoshop to Sketch is one thing. Some people might go to Figma or a similar type of tool. How is that transition in terms of getting the rest of the team together on that workflow? It was pretty easy. I mean, once we saw someone, like we we hired a... um, we hired a freelancer. She came in, and that's all she knew was Sketch while we were still trying to put it together, mm. try to get an understanding of it. But she had already worked at a place that had the workflow um, pretty much laid out. Yeah. So when we saw that, it became so much easier just to say, well, you know what? Why don't you show us how to do it? Mm. Because clearly, we ain't doing it right. To show us how to do it because it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be collaborative. So the team just kind of adopted it that way because then we had someone that we could ask questions to, you know, someone someone that wasn't scared of it and had already gone through the um, the task of the transition. So it, it was pretty easy. And I would imagine for that person also gave them a bit of a sense of uh, autonomy, like they were really helping out the team instead of just coming into an already established workflow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you become big dog on campus overnight. <laughs> you know, you answer questions however you want to answer them. If you don't, if you don't feel like uh, explaining something today, you say the program can't do that. Yeah, but they, she was, she was great, man. She was really great. So, what's the biggest challenge for you right now with work, and how are you working on that challenge? I think the biggest challenge right now is trying to find a way, a new way to reach 
our audience and not do stuff that everybody else has done. You know, like in the space for um, for television when you're trying to do apps for Roku, Apple, and all that, like everything kind of after a while starts to look the same mm-hmm. because the, the, the point of the user coming to your app, the point of the user coming to your site if it's to view television, it's going to be the same if they're coming to you, if they're coming to um, Fox, if they're coming to TBS, whatever. So like trying to find a way, trying to find a, um, a, new, a flow which really meets people's needs in a way that we haven't done before. So like trying to research that and figure that out, try to get a person to the content that they want the fastest in a way that makes it feel um, special to them. So I think that's, that's one of the things, like the prototypes and stuff that we're doing right now, we're trying to figure that stuff out. I feel like a few years ago there was this, uh, maybe it came more out of the advertising industry, but there was this push for uh, like second screen activities, like things that would sort of sync your phone with the live broadcast of the show, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how popular that was or if it's still even popular. I, I have a, a Sony Bravia. I'm not flexing. I got it on sale, but I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a Sony Bravia TV in the living room and it has this feature where you can like put in a hashtag or something. And so if you're watching a program, it will stream across tweets like at the like the like a lower third yeah. as you're watching the show. Yeah. Um which is really interesting, but you have to do that for like every show that you want to watch. Yeah. I I but. like that type of interaction where it's basically just um, hearing what other people are thinking about the show as it's happening. But like at the same time, for me, I don't want the user to do too much and end up missing yeah. the show. I, I like the idea of community, but I don't want at the same, at the risk of doing more things as far as a community kind of take you away from enjoying the show. Mm-hmm. Cause like ideas have come across of, Oh, well, you know what? We could have people do this and this and click on items that people are wearing and, and we could say, well, what it is and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you're kind of removing people from, from the show. show narrative yeah. in order to now do something else which might not bring fruit, you know? Like yeah. trying to find that, that, that happy medium between those that want to do something like that and those that don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I found anyone that does it perfect yet yeah i don't know if that exists but i think that's something to uh it's something to look into but i what i don't want to have happen is i don't want to take away from the show because that's why people are tuning in in the first place Mm -hmm. that's how we retain people is because of the quality and the narrative of the show no i totally agree with you there i feel like and we're sort of straying a little bit from design here but i feel like some modern tv shows are doing too much to draw the viewer in before you've even like watched the first episode. Yeah. Actually, I'll give you a prime example of this. And I, I do not mean to rag on this show, but it's been sitting on my spirit and I got to <laughs> say something about it. Release it. So the, the new boomerang show that's on BET, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it. So Lena Waithe and Halle Berry of executive produced a spinoff to, you know, the popular 92 movie from the Hutland brothers, uh, boomerang. The series is also called Boomerang, and it sort of follows the 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 quote unquote black millennial uh, 
I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm a black millennial, but you know what I mean? Like it follows that struggle of working and living and all this sort of stuff. But it's like the kids of Marcus and Jacqueline and Angela. Right. Um, and I don't know how to feel about the show. I've seen four episodes. I'm pretty sure there'll be more out by the time this, uh, this, this episode airs, but I've seen four episodes so far and I'm like, I don't know what to think about it huh. yet. And I think part of part of it, one, is because I feel like thematically there are so many similar types of shows that have come out that they all congeal into this like vibe of sorts, like Insecure, Atlanta, Boomerang kind of all fall in that same vibey television experience in a way. Uh. Um, but also like with BET, they were doing all these like behind the scenes videos and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, look, can I just watch the show yeah. and see if I even like these people before I want to know all this other stuff? Like it feels like there's too much digital being thrown at me before I've even watched the show because then I watched the show and I was like, well, first of all, I feel like they shouldn't have named it Boomerang because I was like, this ain't like the movie. Yeah. But aside from that, it just felt a little it felt forced in that way like we like you gotta like this because maybe because for this particular property they're banking on sort of the the cultural cachet of boomerang but i've seen other shows do this too you know where this before the show even comes out there's you know behind the scenes videos and interviews and things and it's like can i just watch the show yeah and go into it fresh without all of this other stuff i don't know if that i feel like that's a recent trend that has come about largely um, I don't know if I want to say largely because of this but I feel like television really started to to branch into social right around the time that Scandal came out oh yeah because like Scandal came out and then that's when people started tweeting along with you know the show and then the show leaned into that by adding hashtags and playing it up in advertising and so it all kind of organically worked together and then, of course, other shows try to, you know, follow suit and do that same sort of thing, too. Well, it's kind of, too, on the back of, what is it, uh, Mystery Science Theater. Oh, you! Oh, wow. That's You took it way back. Okay. Right? Where, yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm watching something, but wouldn't it be cool to watch something and get extra information, whether it's comic relief or whatever? Like, isn't that kind of cool? You know, because I, wa- I watch TV and one of my favorite shows and, and I'm not ashamed of it. Is uh, Doctor Pole? Oh man, I love that show. But like, they'll always they'll have these episodes in which they throw in these lower thirds, and it's like added information, added information, and they'll make a sound time that like to cue you that this information is popped up on the screen. Not that you can't see it; it's right there. But the sound and everything takes me out of enjoying the show. Mm-hmm. But they're they're trying. It just seems like I keep I keep going back to like mystery science theater, where it's like, oh no, but you're not alone. Mm-hmm. We're adding this information to help you enjoy the show even more. I'm like, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling that. I just yeah, just create good content and I'll get there. Now there there's been one thing that I thought was um, a real good example of. It's not like a second screen experience like we were talking about, mm-hmm. but it's it's a uh, interactive television. Then that was the um, the Netflix wasn't it? But, um, oh, Bandersnatch. Uh, Bandersnatch. I thought that yeah. was an amazing way to tie in an interactive uh, component to a story because it wasn't 
it wasn't just like those books where you choose to pass, you know, because that's what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. But actually, the story itself started to evolve in which the individual that was making the path um, choices was now part of the story. Mm. So I'm like, oh, man, they, they've kind of broke the plane on this, whereas I'm still – I'm not just a user making some, some path choices. I'm actually now part of the story. I'm in there. He's talking to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that was trippy, and, and I, I want to see more things like that or figure out more ways in which the, um, the viewer – can become part of the narrative. I thought that was a really good example of how you could do something like that. I'm sure it cost them a grip to do, but um, I, I actually loved it. I need to see if I can talk to someone from Netflix over there about that. Cause I'm curious about that too. Cause they had all those different like divergent storylines and everything like that's, that's a, it's a big undertaking and not only just an undertaking in terms of the, you know, narrative structure, but also how do you technically do that across all of the different sorts of platforms that Netflix runs on? Yeah. Like Netflix probably runs on my microwave at this point. Like <laughs> you can get it on every device in your home, but yet you still have that same kind of functionality to be able to, to pick and choose like that. And everybody has the same experience when um, like around, around uh, the office and people are talking about it. Did you, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Mm-hmm. And everyone pretty much had the same experience. Now, whether, whether they liked it or not is a whole nother issue. But the fact that they all had the same experience, I think, is a huge accomplishment. Let's let's talk about that then. Let's lean into that that thing about sort of like designing for for television. So at own you lead you lead the TV everywhere design effort that's not just iOS and Android, but it's Roku, it's Chromecast, it's Fire TV, you know, these new kind of streaming set top box kind of platforms. Talk to me about that project. Like, what's different about designing for those types of interfaces? Um, I don't think there. I don't think there's too much difference. Like, once you start getting into some of the systems like Roku and some of the others, because it they already have a preset system, you know. So you're designing assets for those preset systems. the The only difference that comes in is like. Like one of, here's one of one of the things that that we end up dealing with from time to time is basically how do you, how do you properly communicate a show to someone? You know what I mean? Like, do you always have to have the logo? Well, marketing is always going to push that you should have a logo. You know, anywhere that you have the show playing, mm-hmm. if if you have a video player and you're playing the haves and have-nots, well, you should have a logo on top of the on top of the player because what if what if someone comes in from somewhere else and they don't know what they're watching you know what i mean like you you have to kind of have these discussions and say well maybe maybe you don't need the logo maybe you could just use text system text it would be easier to update instead of having to drop logos in things like that like i think those are the issues that we go back and forth with more it's like when is there when is brand enough mm-hmm like how much can you scale back a brand and still be have people aware of what it is they're looking at you know but i mean a lot of the systems apple tv all these other devices and systems in which um you can watch television um they have their stuff pretty well mapped out but what 
the issue that we can run into is, okay, well, now you're cropping how many images to how many sizes Yeah. for delivering, you know, and is, is there, is, is, is there um, even an asset that can be placed in these systems to work well? Like another issue that we deal with is when, when the network first launched, we weren't, we weren't shooting in uh, 4k, mm-hmm. you know? And now, with everyone and their mom having a 4K TV set, the assets that are being requested by these um, um, other companies, they want the largest possible asset for anything. You know, like, okay, you have a show. This show was done when? Yeah, that's fine. We need it 4,000 by 4,000. Like, well, it it never existed 4,000 by 4,000. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the things we're going through now because you can't even go back to the original tape and pull a four thousand. So we're, we're we're we have a good relationship with our archivist <laughs> 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 to try to to try to find um, assets that we need for some of this. But I think for us that that is probably the biggest hiccup. It's not that it's on multiple systems, but trying to provide artwork that's going to represent the show in its best light best quality yeah even when something um is older and we might not have that asset interesting because i would imagine unlike say if you're doing it for a browser where you can serve up different assets based on you know like viewpoint queries and stuff like that it's a lot different you just have to make the physical assets all of them and all these different iterations yeah for these different types of of uh environments essentially yeah so the more platforms you add you're adding more and more crops and sizes to the point where it's it's it gets it gets a little difficult to manage at times is vr something that you all are looking at like virtual reality augmented reality stuff like that or is that a little too far beyond the pale for tv for us and our demographic we we haven't looked into anything like that yet but i mean i i just did um I just went to this place called uh, Dreams Dreamscape, mm-hmm. Dreamscape, I think it is, and got my first taste of it, like really, really good taste of it, not the PlayStation VR taste of it. Yeah, and uh, man, I I was blown away. Now I don't I don't know if there's space for us to do anything with VR, but I do think there could be something um, along the roads of uh, AR. Mm-hmm for us that might work a little bit better um but we'll 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 have to see what what becomes of something like that but i could see that probably working a little bit better where maybe you're walking down the street or something on a show that's filmed in la and it's you know it, it could start popping up oh this is where so-and-so shops this is where on the show this is where whatever is filmed you know we could do stuff like that i could see that working yeah you know I wonder if we're going to start seeing things like that around the Olympics coming. Oh up. man! Like when I when I think about like when I think about TV and and tech, particularly in these types of uh, really not just time sensitive, but also like having to deal with a lot of information. I always look at the Olympics every few years to see how they handle it. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily great because they have to deal with NBC, but that's a whole <laughs> other issue. But I, I feel like just in terms of how they you know, put together all the different experiences across video and mobile and television, especially across different time zones. Like 
that's a that's a big undertaking. That I think is probably going to be like one of the most fun um, design projects to be on, right? Because by the time the Olympics reach us, like five G, oh, is going to be pretty pretty well. Um, yeah have a pretty good foothold in los angeles i would imagine right and with zero latency uh between devices (laughs) like the 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 types of interaction and stuff that you'll be able to do is going to be insane yeah you know like like how are we going to put all that together when people can watch events from pretty much any device anywhere live i like that's one of the things that that excites me the most about design i was talking to a friend of mine about like 5g and like well how what kind of interfaces will will we have to do now where everything's connected Mm. i don't know you know how do you how do you have everything but make it feel like you're still in control i I think that's going to be a really really fun thing to do especially wrapped around the olympics man Ah, dude, that's that's going to be a big challenge. I I really am interested to see how that is, how that all is going to work. I feel like if if I feel like when it does happen, it's going to come out of Japan first. Like Japan will figure out Mm -hmm. how they're going to get it done, and then NBC will try to rip it off in some sort of way. But I'm I'm curious to see what it will all sort of look like at the end because I know the 2016 Olympics were in Brazil, so Brazil is like an hour ahead of us, I think, in the Eastern Time Zone. So it seemed like a lot of the streaming and things were, was pretty, it was pretty good. It wasn't too bad. And then of course, before that, it was in London. So it wasn't too bad there in Japan. That's a, that's a totally different, yeah. it's a totally different time zone. And, and like you said, with 5G and 4K and all these advanced devices and things like that, I'm just curious to see how it's all gonna, gonna shake out. Or what do you do for a traffic? Like what can you do with traffic and all the, the influx of people coming into the city? You know, how do you how do you get people from event to event Mm -hmm. knowing that there still has to be a core group of people that are still going to work and doing their regular stuff? You know, I mean, it's just it's wide open for what that can be. That's 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 really exciting to me. Yeah. Who or what kind of keeps you motivated and inspired these days? I have I have a friend, um, Lacey Jordan, who's like blowing up doing her illustration stuff she she inspires me i mean i find a lot of my inspiration now from like dribble (laughs) um i'm doing uh Mm -hmm. i'm working on a graphic novel right now and i'm falling back into my my illustration background so i've been i've been going back into like some of my the people that inspired me when I was back in college, um, like who was one of them, like Wayne Tebow mm-hmm. loved, loved his stuff or, um, uh, uh, Ralph McQuarrie, uh, a star Wars concept artist, like things like that. Like I draw it from anywhere I can. Like I, Stephen King, um, Ridley Scott, like in just storytelling. I try, I try to pull from everywhere, but it, but it varies, you know, it depends on what you're interested in right now. And then you start finding people that inspire you for the moment. But it's but it's constantly changing. Nice. We actually had Lacey on the show. Oh, really? Uh, couple, a couple years back. She's dope, Yeah, dude. that's the homie. Yeah, Lacey. Yeah, Lacey's from, she's from Alabama like I am. Well, she's from Huntsville. I'm from Selma. But 
both from Alabama. Like when we did the interview, it's funny. I'll tell you this story. I probably have told this story on the show before, but her and I did that interview, I think three times. So like the first time we did the interview, I believe it was her birthday. It was like she was just turning 27 or 28 or something like that. And I could tell like she was nervous and kind of like all over the place. And, and I, you know, her and I just like, we stopped the interview and we just kind of had like a conversation, just talked. And I think I was telling her cause she was mentioning it was around her birthday. And I was like, Oh, I was like, it's about to pop off for you right now. Right. Like, right after 27, I was talking about the whole, like, you know, Saturn return and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, it's about to pop off for you in a huge way. I just hope that you're ready for it. And, she was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so the second time we tried to record, we just had technical difficulties and we couldn't do it. And then we ended up doing the third time. And that's the the episode that's went out. But man, since she's since that interview and I'm not saying that this happened because of the interview, I don't give myself that much credit. But certainly since then, I mean, I see her stuff everywhere, right? Everywhere, everywhere. Man. I see her illustration work. I'm like. What you in Vogue? What you're the New York Times? Like I see it everywhere. Is that, is that Nike that you just did something for? Right, she's she's killing it. She is killing the game. I'm I am awed. But by I love her I, I, I guess the thing that's inspiring about her for me is like I met her at a I I met her with a group of people from AIGA and uh, mm-hmm. we we hit it off after our first meeting and um, it's all it's always weird when you. Like we we met for lunch. We met for we met for uh, for drinks after after work or something. And um, it mm-hmm. it was so cool because you could tell, like people hear the title, you know. Yeah. And I forget that it has a presence of its own outside of me. Mm. So I could tell she was kind of like nervous and stuff like that. And we started talking, and she started loosening up, and we just started like vibing. And I'm like, girl, you. Because she was saying, Yo, you know what, I didn't go to school for this, whatever, whatever. I was trained to do this. And um, mm-hmm. I know my heart has this passion to do whatever. And the way she was talking about it, I'm like, well, there's no way you can't be successful. Like, it's not possible. Yeah. Like, your your passion for it is like an arrowhead. Nothing can stop it because of your passion. And she just took it to the next level and she was enjoying the job that she had, enjoying the people. And she's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to just go for it. And she went all in and it's, and it's pain. It's, it's pain that she went all in for it. And I love that because it's kind of like, um, it's something like my boss here told me one time about myself. He's, he's like, um, um, you need to stop being a person that's asking for permission for success. Mm. And I could see it in how she was doing her thing. Uh, and I feel like yeah. that's what, like, she's going to be like, Dave, you mentioned me in the interview. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love, I love that she embodied what he's told me. Like, you don't have to yeah. ask for permission to be successful. Just go be successful. You know, yeah. no one can tell you you can't. And she did that, and and I love I love stories like that because it inspires it inspires me to do the stuff that you know that hand, hangs on my back burner mm-hmm. that I haven't been doing. I mean that that it's it's tough, especially especially for a designer. I just I I had an argument last week. Well, it's not it's not an argument. It was a it was a, a heavy discussion 
with a, a, yeah. a, a writer. And um, they've been wanting to do something for a long time, and we've talked about it for a long time, for years, right? And like, you know what? You need to just do it. Stop putting things in your way to not do what you believe you should do. Mm-hmm. Because I do that. I know this ad about myself, and I have my wife catches me all the time because it'll be like, oh, no, I really want to do this one thing, but I need that new trash can Mac you know, in order to do this thing because it's going to be a lot of processor power and all that. And then you get that trash can Mac and you're like, okay, I got that, but I really need the software to do this. And then once I get that, and you'll just keep coming up with excuses not to do the thing that you are supposed to do. And you can spend a lifetime doing that. Yeah. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta find a way to cut it off and just say, you know what, I'm gonna do it. That's why I'm, I'm doing this um, um, graphic novel idea I've had for a long time. And my wife, uh, I guess she got tired of me talking about it. <laughs> She's like, well, you, you you just have to go do it. Stop being scared. You know, I think that's what it is, too. It's a lot of it's a lot of fear. So your inspiration stories come from people that, you know, they're scared. Yeah. And they've conquered their fear and they've moved forward and they've done well with it. Can you talk a little bit about your graphic novel? I mean, you know, you don't have to give away the whole thing, but I'm curious to to learn more about it. Um so what what I'm putting together right now are like um is it is it Jordan Peele has has really opened the minds to people that black people don't just have to be a character in a scary movie that gets killed, uh-huh. but we can actually be the villain. We can actually be the heavy. We can be anything. And I love, I absolutely love that, right? So I'm a big fan of The Twilight Zone simply because Rod Sterling found a way to communicate to people in ways they didn't know he was communicating to them. Like he took situations that were going on during the times and flipped it in a way that he could tell you about yourself and you not know he was telling you about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so many stories that can be told like that within the black community about things that we do, we understand, things that we take for granted, how we interact with people that um they might not know and we might not know why we do them so it's kind of a mix of it's a mix of like horror and drama it is basically what it is you know yeah no this sounds interesting but i i just i just well and it, it's a bunch of connected stories too oh nice i like those where it's like a so it's a neighbor like a neighborhood like inglewood or something like that well it is inglewood because that's where i grew up <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's what you say it's like inglewood it's not but like a bunch of stories and you can start connecting the different pieces from different areas mm-hmm. to create like this um a holistic view of society but in a different way. Speaking of Jordan Peele, did you see uh, he has a new YouTube series out called Weird City? No. Uh, yeah, so he has a series. Uh, he co-wrote it with Charlie Sanders. It's on it's on YouTube's premium platform or YouTube Red, whatever they call it. I forget. One of the two, the paid platform. But he has it's a six-episode series called Weird City. 
And it's sort of like a satirical Black Mirror kind of thing. Yeah. Where it takes place, you know, in the not too far off future. And it's the city where people live either above the line or below the line. The line being poverty, I'm assuming. But mm-hmm. people below the line are kind of like, it's sort of like the inner city. And then above the line is like super futuristic technological. And so he tells these six stories uh, through these six episodes that kind of crosses between what it's like being below the line, above the I gotta line. I got to check and it out. It's really good. I actually just finished it up. Yeah, I just finished it up yesterday. The first, I think the first episode should be free on um on youtube and then the others you have to have the paid thing but it was really good once i because they're all interconnected once you get to like about the third or fourth episode you're like oh these are all like one narrative thing because it's all taking place in the same kind of like city scape i guess and so some of the things they're talking about it it links between episodes it's really good it's really good things that he's doing even for i i was um I was talking with someone yesterday and I was telling them and I, I, I could tell that they were, they were not feeling what I was saying. Like I was saying something that was boring them, but still I said it, but like the poster work for um, us, I love it, dude. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. I love the deep, I love the deep colors. Yeah. I love like the, like just seeing the, the expression on the actors faces and stuff. It's, it's so freaking rich. Even the logo like the logo being, um, it feels like it's two different fonts laid on top of each other, like a duality type of situation going on. I haven't seen the movie, but it's like, yeah. it's so awesome to see this. And this is um, black actors, a narrative that, that I can understand and see people like me in it. And it's not about um, slavery and it's not um, a biopic Right. Like this is just us being able to mm-hmm. do another type of story and, and do it in high fashion. I, I love it because my, my so my wife is a, a mystery writer. OK. So she kills people for a living. And, <laughs> okay. and, and, and we always talk like um, about like, well, why is it that that every movie that we make has to be the best thing ever? Like like has to make so much money or whatever mm. but yet others get to make yeah bad movie bad movie good but it 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 they get to have the wealth of their life put out there some good some great some bad mm. but for us we have these slivers of things that we can talk about because we're experts about these things when in actuality um there's so many, so many stories that we could tell, which everyone can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, I read Stephen King, but I'm not from Maine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like w- w- what I feel he's doing is he's opening that door up and saying, you know what? We can tell our stories and you can still relate to them. Welcome to the picnic, you know, come on in and enjoy. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to tell a story the way you tell it to have you still enjoy it. Because the human experience is one that's that's varied. Yeah, I just love the fact that people are now being more accepting of um, enjoying the human experience by different types of narrators. You know, like uh, Octavia yeah. Spencer is doing a movie where she's like this crazy woman that that 
could be killing kids. I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Oh dude. yeah, I saw I saw the trailers for Ma. I saw that. That looks yeah, so like, good. It's like, it's like, well, you know, we can kill kids too. <laughs> Why do they have to be the ones that can just kill kids? We can get in that one, you know. I I, I like that because that just opens up the door to us being able to play everything. You know, we don't have to just be that black president. You know, that's in that's in the sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. We can be the crazy person too. Like, don't limit us. Yeah. You know, I I love that, and and I'm glad people are um, opening their minds up and being able to see um, people of color playing. Um, a more broader um, um, spectrum of roles. I agree. I used to call it, I still call it this sometimes that, uh, you know, media from people of color tends to have the burden of excellence. Exactly. Like it has, like it has to be a history lesson. It has to be exceptional. Like it can't just exist on its own merit or be telling a different story that doesn't have to deal with exceptionalism in some sort of way. Um, and, and like that stifles the types of stories that can be told. It honestly stifles who can even tell those stories. Right. Uh, you know, Ava can't direct everything. Right. Ryan Cougar can't direct everything. It would be great if they could, but you know, like the fact now, but like you said, the, the field has opened up a lot more where you can have, you know, Issa Rae doing things. You can have like the folks that black and sexy doing things and stuff like that, where they're telling all these different stories, Jordan Peele, et cetera. And it's not just about, you know, the sort of like talented 10th kind of uh, I love of, um, of mentality. seeing Issa Rae stuff out there. Like it's, you know, the more stories I hear talking with my wife, it's, it's you know, you write. So, so, a, so a, a black author writes a book, right? Yeah. And what ends up happening is your book goes in the black section of Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, you wrote fiction. Mm-hmm. But well, where do I find the book? Oh, well, it's February, so you want to look in the the African American section on the side <laughs> uh, to find the book. And it's like, no, no, no. We 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 write stories for everybody. Just just because the main character happens to not look like you, doesn't mean that the experience isn't something that this that another person can't read and relate to. Yeah, you know what I mean. But we've been put in this box of Oh no no no! You know it's a it's it's for black people. It, it's really not because if that was the case, we wouldn't we mm-hmm. wouldn't get to see tons of these stories that are out there right now. You know, I get to see the full bandwidth, the full spectrum of what it is to be white. I want you to see what the full spectrum of what it is to be black. You know, because it's 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 vast. Yeah. It's they just haven't allowed you to tell the stories that make it vast. They haven't backed them, but it really is. Because I I grew up, I grew up in Inglewood, but I was bused out to school um, in Torrance every day. Mm-hmm. So I was a black kid that was in a predominantly white. Um, school, and that's my story. And my story is people are people. Mm-hmm. You know. The hardest, the hardest thing for me was when I was then transferred after ten years at the white school, and I went from an all white school to a predominantly all black school. Because mm. now I have to figure out where do I fit in. Yeah, it, it, you know what I mean. Because usually it's the other way around of well, where do I fit in in white society? But here it's well, where do I fit in in black society? Mm-hmm. And 
come to find out, just be you. Yeah. And people accept you either way. That that fear of well, what is it that what is what am I am I going to say the right things? Do I act hood enough or whatever? That's just stuff in your head. Yeah. It's it's what's your story? Are you being authentic? Are you trying to be like me, or is this you? People just want authentic people. You know. I'm curious with that shift. When did you know that you know design is something that you really wanted to do? Was it that shift from going to that like all white environment to this all black environment? Um, I think the first time I knew that I wanted to do design was that was my first trip to, uh, you know, they do these college trips before you go to college Mm -hmm. and they try to woo you with, you know, the nice t-shirt and bumper sticker and all that kind of stuff. And I went to college and, uh, I, I went to La Sierra and, uh, they had a Mac. This this is really going to date me, <laughs> but it's all good. They had a uh, a Mac okay. 2FX, I believe. And on that, they were rendering a chessboard with a, a glass sphere. I think they were using Strata 3D, I think, a long time ago. And I saw that, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to, what, how, what, however I, however I can do it. I want to somehow be in the realm of where this is something that I work with on a creative side, not on an engineering side. And fortunately for me, like uh, my grandmother was a seamstress, my grandfather was a tailor and a janitor. They they were always into. Um, drawing and art and sculpture Mm -hmm. but they didn't do it as a professional career but i mean making clothes and stuff like that is a creative expression Uh, my grandmother was also a caterer so putting together fruit bowls is a creative expression so when i told my mom i was going to take up art as a college major i didn't get the pushback that a lot of people i hear a lot of minorities i fear i hear get it wasn't as foreign to my parents. I think in some ways they were just glad that I wanted to get a degree. <laughs> but at the same but at the same time they weren't pushing me into the basic be a doctor, be a nurse, be a business person. You know, they they thought that I could find my path if this is what I wanted to do because I think because of my grandparents doing these creative things with their hands already, it wasn't foreign. But that's what I wanted. That's just what I wanted to do. I, but I do remember watching that computer render, and they were like, "Oh yeah, it's going to be rendering for about three weeks." And like, "Oh my god, that's so amazing!" <laughs> you know. And I, but I wanted to be a part of that, and uh, I guess that began, that officially began my journey into wanting to do this as a career. The interesting thing, though, is the the school that I chose. They didn't have a computer department that had a that was merged with the art department. Mm-hmm. Like Photoshop was new on the scene. Freehand was what Aldos Freehand, I remember, I remember and Freehand. Adobe Illustrator, all that stuff was just starting to come out. So the art department at that time hadn't created a curriculum. So what I ended up doing is uh, I went to the uh, computer lab and I, I, I asked the guy at the computer lab, could I get a job um, as a lab assistant? 
And he's like, but what's your major? I'm like, I'm an art major. And he laughed. And I'm like, ah. Uh. He's like, usually these jobs are for our computer majors. We try to save them for computer majors. But he was, he said, but I'll do this for you. He said, you take an intro to info systems class. And if you can get an A in the class, I'll give you a job. Hmm. And I got a, I got an A in the class. And that then gave me access to freehand, Illustrator, HyperCard, all of the programs that were in the lab that I could play with while the other art majors um, were still doing it, the traditional Ruby Red and all that type of stuff. I was allowed to do my stuff on the computer. So I think that's what helped give me a leg up into um, the, the transition into digital. Now, you've worked in both traditional media and digital media as a designer. What do you see as the next trend, like on the horizon, that designers need to know about? Oof. I mean, the whole 3D printing stuff really fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And like I, I, I went to, uh, I did a talk at Cal State Northridge, and the students had a uh, a little area where they could sell their uh sell the work that they had done and they had a lot of these really cool pins Mm -hmm. you know um, stick on pins that you can put on your clothes that they designed I guess you send them out and have the metal work done and I'm like wow that's really cool because this looks really really professional you know and an art student did it and now if if 3d printing can get cheaper and more in in people's homes like an Epson printer that's going to allow a designer, a creative, to be able to make a physical product of one of their art pieces and sell it Yeah. without having to go through any other agency or anything. If I think it, I can create it, and I can then use the internet to put it on the market. So I think that – I feel that's going to be really big because the power of creating stuff is kind of in the hands of – what materials you have. If I want to create a vase, I have to go to a place where I can do ceramics in order to make a vase and then to sell that vase. Here I can create something and then mass produce it from my home. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? Like people listen to this interview, they can clearly tell you've got a passion for this. They want to do what you're doing. What what advice would you give them? Um I think the first thing to get out of the first thing I tell um, the kids that I that I mentor is uh, you have to get the language of the starving artist out of your head. Like you have to just get the language out of your head first because it handcuffs you, you know. And the next thing is like it's it's something that I've been also working with. Like the the David Hall is always under construction so i'm continuing to work and make it a better product and part of that also is like you 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 must not ask for permission to be successful and at the same time stop putting obstacles in your way if you believe you can be an artist if you love art if you have a passion for it you need to go after it you need to study what other people have done to be successful get books read books, especially now with all the videos that are available of how you can learn. Um, like like I just took a class on um, Frank Geary, like just to kind of learn something new. And I, I watched a master class on him. 
and man, it just opened my mind to different ways of how people approach uh, the creative space. And then, and they're really not even expensive. You know, like Udemy has tons of classes for like 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. Like if you love drawing, take tons of drawing classes. Figure out how you can turn that into a job. Be nice to people because careers are based on relationships. You know, I got this job here at OWN because of a relationship that I had, a friendship that I had with a person from a previous job. You know, L.A., New York, all these places, everything's interconnected. So, like, you know, be a good listener when people are talking to you. Treat people good. But know, know that you can do whatever you want to do. I think part of my if, – if I could redo anything, I would, I would, I would tell myself – early on not not to limit how big my dreams were mm -hmm. for the field you know because what what then what then happens when you accomplish those goals you know you kind of get you kind of get stagnant so you dream big accomplish that goal and as you're getting close to accomplishing that goal you have to set another one so that you're constantly climbing you know i'd also say be 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 your best and worst critic. You know, if you design something, you should look at it with the eye of perfection. Like, don't because one of one of my friends, one of my friends, he's a um, he. We went we went to school together. I've known him all my life. He was a um, really great guy, an artist, and he got into a car accident mm. and he became a quadriplegic. Right. So he he has um, he has control over his. Um, what is it? I think is his deltoids. I mean, well, he can move the top part of his. He can use the muscles around his rotator cuff. Those muscles he uses that in order to move his arms. And he got into art, and he paints, right? So he paints, and he would he'd send me his uh, illustrations that he would do. And you know, other people look at the fact that he's a quadriplegic, you know, and they see that he does a circle. <laughs> And they're like, oh my God, look, he did a circle. This is so awesome. This is so great. And it's like, nah, mm -hmm. dude, that's not great. I know what you're capable of. And he pushed himself and pushed himself. And now he he does he, he does beautiful portraits using a Procreate on the iPad. And I look at them now, and it's just they're gorgeous, right? And it's like, well, you have to align yourself with people that expect the best from you. Because if you just stick with people that accept mediocrity, then that's what you begin to accept from yourself. Mm -hmm. You know? So when he does something, he's like, Dave, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? I'm like, oh, man, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But I think her eye is a little off. And, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. And I think in, in many ways in illustration, I think like just in um, being able to turn objects with light and shade, he surpassed me. But it's because he expects the best of himself and then surrounds himself with people that don't just tell him what he wants to hear. That's the same with us, the same with any designer. You know, you want to be in the pack with those that are doing. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones you want to run with. Don't be, don't be happy with people that are just, oh, yeah, everything's great. It's not. My team will come in here all the time, and, and I've gotten used to it. I've gotten I've gotten my designer tough skin back, but they'll come in here and they're like, "Dave, that color sucks. 
like, damn, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not right. That's not that's not right. You should look at other colors. And I and I have to learn to hear it and then be able to evaluate what they're saying and then be okay with changing it. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. But that's that's the journey. Where do, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work do you want to be doing? Oof, that's a good one. I, I got to say that dream, dream, dreamscape thing really blew me away. That really, really blew me away because in an instant, what for one second I was in one room and then a second later I was on another world and it felt like that and I could walk around it and interact with things and touch things. I'd like to, I like to get my hands into that type of storytelling, that type of creating interface. I just find it, I just find it really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes, it makes so much so accessible, especially like you could even take it to be like, say you do something in the inner city and you have um, an inexpensive VR room and kids that have, will never see Paris well, not never see Paris, but not be able to see Paris because of economic issues. Like you could take them and show them the Eiffel Tower and they could ride the elevator mm-hmm. and open their mind to what's out there waiting for them. You know, I think that's a that's an awesome thing. Bring the world, make such a big world smaller. I, I'd like to get into stuff like that. Make technology more accessible for everybody make the world more accessible for everybody, actually. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Dave, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? They can go to my website, uh, dwhdesigns.net, or on Twitter. Well, Twitter's really, I don't really talk too much about design on Twitter. I get kind of political. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's, um, but that's uh, at dhdesigns. Those are, those are my main outlets. All right. Sounds good. Well, David Hall, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for, I mean, one, for sharing your story, but two, I mean, you gave such great advice throughout all of this. I think anyone, regardless of the level that they're at in their design career, can get something from this that I hope can uh, can kind of help them out. And I think what I just normally got is sort of the the overarching thing is that design is something that is not just for one specific type of person. There's no one type of way to really come into this industry. And I certainly think that, you know, your story and really the work that you're doing right now is a, is a testament to that, that, you know, you can find and carve out your path for success in this industry, no matter where you're at. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, look forward to seeing you next time you're in LA, man. Thoughts of love are in. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Dave Hall and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dave and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. For the community of over 2 billion people, the design team at Facebook works on a diverse range of problems. Whether it's designing for social impact or working on the latest version of a Facebook feature, The design team at Facebook takes challenges head-on to help improve the platform for everyone. Sound interesting? Then learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. 
They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing platform for small businesses. Aside from having such a great product, the culture at MailChimp is pretty great too. They work to create a diverse and vibrant company culture that not only encourages a healthy work-life balance, but also gives employees time to volunteer, learn new skills, and share their work. Learn more about MailChimp and their culture by visiting MailChimp.com today. Revision Path is brought to you by Glitch, the friendly community where everyone can discover and create the best stuff on the web. Check us out at Glitch.com. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. This episode was edited by Keisha TK Dutez and produced by Deanna Testa. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.